welcome to episode number 179 of the Pioneering Today podcast, where we teach you how to raise, preserve, and cook your food the old-fashioned way, like great or maybe even great-great-grandma did. My name is Melissa K. Norris, and I am thrilled that you are here with us and listening to the podcast. Welcome, my friends. Today's episode is a fun one because even though I'm a fifth-generation homesteader, we raise all of our own meat here on our homestead, so grass-fed beef, organic pork, chickens for eggs, chickens for eating, fruits and vegetables, all the good stuff. I don't have any experience with a specific type of livestock, and you probably, like me, don't even think of this as livestock, but it totally is. And that, my friends, is raising bees, specifically honeybees. Now, because I don't have personal experience with this, but I'm totally intrigued, and it's on my homestead bucket list of some way down the road. Maybe it'll come sooner than I think. Never know how that tends to go. But I've always been fascinated by honeybees. I mean, obviously, I love honey. I love the beeswax. And not only, I mean, most of us think of honey on our biscuits, right? Oh, such a good thing. Hot from scratch buttermilk biscuit out of the oven. Slather some honey on that. Oh, I think it's like one of the perfect foods, you guys. But honeybees, honey is not just for eating and flavoring, though it is a wonderful thing for all of that. But honey is used medicinally as well. And then you have the byproduct of the beeswax. So they actually provide us with multiple things. Of course, they are also pollinators. So they're the reason that we have a lot of our fruits and vegetables. And then you've got the beeswax to make beeswax candles, balms, medicinal salves, beeswax wraps. If you're trying to get away from plastic and you don't want to use plastic wrap, you can use beeswax to make your own wraps. Honeybees really provide us with multiple things on the homestead. So in today's episode, I brought on a special guest and you guys, I picked her brain. This is such a great episode. So very practical on how you decide where to put your hives based on the bees activity, how much your startup cost is going to be, things that you need to know before you purchase your bees, what types of bees to purchase and how to know for where you live. So your climate which bees are going to be best? And then what does the daily, monthly, weekly, and even yearly care look like for these bees? And what is the average amount of honey that you actually get? Plus, she also shares ways that people use their hives and their bees to bring in additional income on the homestead. So as you can tell by all that I just rattled off, this is a jam-packed episode. If you've ever been curious about honeybees and raising your own bees, you gotta listen in. It's such a good one. Okay, without further ado, here is my guest and today's episode. Guys, I am really excited for today's guest. One, because she has been a great friend and I've been getting to know her even better and I'm really excited about that because it's always fun to find people who are like you, who get this way of life, this homesteading thing, because I tell you y'all, we're moving in a modern society, but there's still a lot of people that don't get why we do the things that we do. So it's always fun when you can find someone who relates and who gets it. And one of the other reasons is because she has some expertise in a topic that I have no expertise. And it's always fun when you get to learn about something from somebody who has been doing it and you can shorten your learning curve. Welcome to the Pioneering Today podcast, Miss Amber Bradshaw. 
thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah. So Amber is a beekeeper and I have talked about beekeeping in one of, I think it was at one of our first 10 episodes, like way back in the day, because this is now we're on episode number 179. And so it's been quite a while since I've talked honeybees. And I'm really excited because I've done mason bees, but of course you don't get the beautiful benefit of honey. You get the pollinating effect with mason bees. So I'm really excited to talk with you today about beekeeping specifically for beginners because I'm totally a beginner when it comes to beekeeping. Tell us if you're a beginning beekeeper, the things you probably should consider before you even become invested and then what you need to know with keeping bees. Yeah, well, um, you know, I was talking about beginning beekeeping because of the book, obviously, but when I started, we started beekeeping in an urban society, in an urban environment. We only had less than a quarter acre of land. We lived in a tourist community by the beach, just south of Myrtle Beach on the ocean, and there wasn't really a lot of mentors in the area. There were mainly people that were just coming to go to the beach and vacationing and golfing, but not beekeeping. So finding somebody that could share their experience with us just to learn and glean information was almost impossible. So everything that I did was by trial and error, mostly error. And I learned a lot from all of the mistakes we had made over the years. First and foremost, you know, if anybody's considering beekeeping, kudos. We need all of the beekeepers we can. You know, there's a lot of different species that have made the endangered list. And it just seems like every time we turn on the TV, you hear about colony collapse disorder or lack of pollinators, and it's getting worse. Anybody that is interested, I definitely encourage you to pursue looking into it because they just need all the help they can get. Anybody looking into or interested in getting into beekeeping, I recommend finding a local mentor first and foremost. A lot of times you can find those with your local extension agency or just even Google search whatever state you're in for the local beekeepers associations. Every state in the United States has them and hopefully you can find one that's within a comfortable driving distance. They'll offer like beekeeping 101 classes. However, it's during those classes that I actually became the most confused. I'm a visual learner and it was a lot easier for me just to hook up with another beekeeper and learn from their expertise. Okay, that's a great tip. I'm like you, if I can find somebody in person to teach me or watch a really detailed video, I, need, I really need to have that visual. So thank you for those tips. Another thing to consider when you're looking into beekeeping and is if it's legal. I know it's kind of a crazy concept to wrap your head around. What do you mean is beekeeping legal? But Neighborhoods, HOAs, POAs, even some cities have made beekeeping illegal of all things. So I'm always asked permission first, then for forgiveness later, because I've done that and it's not that's <laughs> that kind of stings you in the bum. So you don't want to, no pun intended, you, you want to make sure it's legal. Oh, wow. I had no idea that there were regulations like that or laws, I guess I should say, on beekeeping. That is kind of sad and fascinating all in its own subject there. But going back to the bees, especially we're talking honeybees with the pollinators, 
they are so important. And I know down like the walnut groves in California that there's a lot of beekeepers across the nation that will actually ship their hives down there to help them pollinate just because they are lacking the bees to pollinate a lot of the big orchards that obviously feed the whole United States. And then, and then if there's exports as well, I think this is such an important thing for people to know about and to know how we can do it for our own orchards and gardens and pollinating and that kind of thing, but also to help the bee species because, you know, let's face it, without honeybees to pollinate our food, we would only have, I don't even know, I'm not an expert in that part. I'm sure there's studies out there, but I would say within a year without having any type of pollinators, our food source, oh my goodness, because you can only hand pollinate so much. And when you're talking feeding the rest of the world, because so many people don't grow their own food, there would be the whole collapse of the entire world. Yeah, it is. When you look at that perspective, so many people, they see their food in the grocery store and they just don't take into effect what it takes to bring it there. I mean, we can't import, God, I hope not. We can't import all of our food. We have to take some responsibility and being a part of the process, even if we don't have a garden, even if we don't have a farm. And in taking responsibility and part of that process is protecting what it takes to get our food. That would be protecting our water, protecting our environment, shopping local, shopping from know your farmer, you know, all of those things play a huge part. And we just got to think further down the road than tomorrow. We got to think further into our kids' lives, into our grandkids' lives, and take accountability for what part and role we play in that. Yeah, no, I completely agree. So with the beehives, because I think that that can be a really important role. I mean, with the beehives, we've been talking quite a bit so far in this episode about the pollinating factor, which is definitely a factor. But with beehives from a homesteading perspective and self-sufficiency, I mean, of course, if you've got honeybees, then ideally you're going to be getting honey as well, which is, of course, delicious. We use it in cooking, use it as natural medicine. There's so many uses. But then you also get the beeswax. So you get a lot of great things from these little honeybees beyond, there's so many things that they're, they're so worth having. But when you are brand new, because I would be brand new, like, like when you guys first started out, Kind of what are the steps like you're, if you're thinking, okay, I want to get bees. Now I've made sure that it's okay for me to have them in my area and that type of thing. So when you're looking at supplies, like must-haves and cost, and then on your property, like when you're evaluating where to set it up, that type of thing. Can you kind of walk us through that? Sure. One thing when I talk about beekeeping supplies, I am a natural beekeeper, meaning I don't use, I use IPM integrated pest management. I don't spray with protocol like a lot of the traditional beekeepers. Matter of fact, I've never used chemicals in my hives. And I also, I take this actually with most of my livestock. I want to raise, and bees are actually considered a livestock according to the USDA because they produce an edible, something that we consume. So they are considered a livestock. And I want them to be healthy and strong, which means less intervention from humans. So when a very person, they found out it was legal, and you don't have to have a lot of land because bees forage up to five miles away. There's no way that one home could produce enough nectar to supply the colony. So just know that even if you have an organic yard, you don't use any pesticides, 
your bees are going to forage up to five miles away. However, it is important to have plants that they enjoy. Flowering herbs are top. Anise hyssop and borage and bee balm and lavender and sage. All of those the bees just love. And ample supply of water. People don't think of bees needing water, but they drink like three times their body weight per day for bee. Whether that's a bird bath with marbles or a shallow water dish, you have to have water. Another thing to consider when placement for your bees is bees like to fly in a straight line from out their hive there and back. So if your neighbor's house, you know, is really close or your kid's playground, you don't want to face your beehive right in their direct line. I always suggest like where a tree line is, where half of the hive is shaded by the tree line and half of it's kind of in the sun, facing a direction opposite of where you're going to walk or where your kids are going to play. And a lot of times if you don't have an option for the beehive, say you only have one spot and it faces right at your front door, if you place a hedgerow or fence section about five or six feet or more in front of the hive, they will be forced to fly up and over it and generally missing your interaction. They'll fly up and over your head. So that's just another little tip as far as placement. As far as supplies go, depending on the type of beekeeper you want to be, and I keep, man, I'm not making bee puns on purpose, I promise. I'm not that funny. <laughs> Depends on if you want to be a commercial beekeeper, say you're like, see the financial potential and you want to do this from your home. I had a friend back in South Carolina, they bought an organic blueberry farm and the blueberries weren't doing good. And they realized that there wasn't a lot of pollinators. So they got bees to pollinate their blueberries and they were doing blueberry farm, not very financially productive. You know, they just weren't really making that much money. Well, then they noted, then they started selling some of their honey and their honey and bee business got so big, the blueberries took a back seat and they predominantly only do, they both quit their jobs at the university and only do blueberry flavored honey now. So there is, when I say commercial beekeeper, a lot of people think just kind of like Capo Farms, but that's not the case. You can be a very organic, natural commercial beekeeper, make a viable living. If you're going to be a commercial beekeeper, I highly recommend the Langstroth hives. There's three that are the most popular. You have the Ware, and I'm not saying that right. I never do say that right. It's W-A-R-R-E. I'm aware. The Top Bar Hive and the Langstroth Hive. Now, the Langstroth Hive is the one that you're probably most familiar with. It just looks like a rectangle and has little boxes that stack on top of each other. And it's what you would generally see when you're driving by somebody that has beehives. The plus side of those is the honey is really easy to harvest. It's really easy to open up the boxes and take a look. It's easy to find supplies. I went to the hardware store the other day, and believe it or not, they had Langstroth hive supplies. I just, <laughs> right in the middle of nowhere, I couldn't believe it. And now if you're going to be a hobbyist beekeeper, which most people are for backyards, you could go with the Langstroth hive just because it's convenient. But if you want to be more naturally minded beekeeper, I would recommend the top bar hive. And the top bar hive, because the top bar hive allows bees to build their comb naturally, meaning a bee in the wild would take go in a tree and they would draw their comb down. So it looks like it's sagging or dripping down. 
And that's how they would do it in nature. But the Langstroth hive, the one that most commercial beekeepers use, they draw the comb out on wax foundations that are man-made. So we're manipulating bees inside a perfect little box that's neat and tidy for our sake. And that's not really exactly what they would do and to mimic them in nature. So the top bar hive would be, there would be more of a natural environment for the bees. Now, a lot of beekeepers will argue with me about that, and that's fine. We all have our own way of doing things, but this is just my personal opinion backed on research and experience that I've done. I'm aware hive, again, I'm not pronouncing it right, but it's got one of those little funny asterisks at the end of her name. <laughs> she developed, and they call it the, the people's hive. She developed a beehive in the late 1800s that is more natural. It has fixed combs. It drops down just like the top bar hive. Unfortunately, though, because it is a fixed frame, they're illegal in a lot of states and even countries. I think Australia banned them completely because you're not able to remove the frames to inspect and they feel that any beehive you can't personally inspect shouldn't, the too many diseases and pests can transfer. So you would have to check with that. But that hive is very good, completely hands off. If you want to just try to preserve the species, you're not really interested in collecting honey. You're not really interested in raising bees to sell. That might be the hive for you. Outside of getting the hive, the other things that excuse me, that I would recommend for a new beginner beekeeper to do is definitely your veil. I mean, you see beekeepers, you see all these things on YouTube or Facebook, or they're just out frolicking around with a bunch of bees and they're covered with a body. I don't recommend that. That's just dumb. That's just dumb in my opinion. I want to be, I want to be one with the bees, but a bee can sting your eye and you can go blind for life. There's just not worth the risk. If you are more comfortable with the bees, you know, by all means, let them crawl your skin. But keep your face covered. Recommend getting a veil. I recommend a bee suit too, but if you're frugal minded, bee suits are about a hundred bucks. You can get one of those Tyvek suits at Home Depot for $10. And that's what we've used over the years. It lasts just as long and it's 10 bucks versus a hundred dollars. And then other than that, you could use some gloves. Some people don't use gloves at all. I find them cumbersome to use when I'm dealing with my hives but you can even use those rubber kitchen gloves. You don't have to have those fancy goatskin gloves. And then that's it until it's honey extraction time. So that's kind of your investment. Now, when it comes to bees too, bees themselves, believe it or not, are a little hefty investment. You can go cheap with a lot of different things like the Tyvek suit I just told you about. Hives, if you're very construction oriented and you're a DIYer, then you can make your own hive. But generally for two hives, and you always kind of want two, and I might go over that later, but two hives, the suit, the bees, the whole shebang, for us, it was around $900. So that's an investment. Really, that's, that's an investment to get into it. But it is, when you look at it as a livestock option and the option also possibly providing a livelihood. But it's something to definitely think about. It's not something you're just going to, most people are going to just go like, oh, today I'm going to start bees. You know, it's something you're going to plan and do some research and investing on. But I love your tips for using the protection and going and getting that cheaper suit. (laughs) I'm all about that. And I'm with you on wearing something. In fact, just this past weekend, 
we were out camping and we were driving and it was warm out. So we had the windows down. We don't have air conditioning in our truck. And a honeybee, I didn't know it, it flew in and I went to sit back in the seat and I had a tank top on and it stung me on the back. And of course, I felt bad because that honeybee died. But I tell you what, that was just one sting. And that hurt. Yeah, I had a good raised well and I was for a few seconds there trying not to say anything in front of my children. I try not to say bad words anyways, but it hurt like a set of a gun. Yeah, it's a painful thing. Getting stung is a painful thing. I don't care who you are. I had fellow beekeepers that use the bee stings to help their arthritis and stuff and power to them. Not me. Uh-uh. Nope. Oh, wow. Like they would purposely have the bee sting them like on a joint or something, you mean? Yeah. And it's actually that, I mean, some practices here in the States use those, but yeah, they would take the bee and they would purposely take the stinger and sting them in their joints where they had rheumatoid arthritis. Funny on that, as when we had a move here to the mountains, we had very little notice and we sold our house so quick, it was crazy. Well, we had to move our bees in the middle of the day in the heat. Not recommended. My husband, God bless him, he ended up getting stung about 20 times. Ooh. And again, not recommended. It was crazy. But once a bee stings you, they release this pheromone telling all the other bees, you're a danger. And they're all going to smell that and they're going to come and sting you too. We were moving. I mean, we were like literally the moving truck was in the driveway and he had to hurry up and load up these bees. A smart person who had time would have gone and got stinger out and washed off the pheromone, but he didn't. Anyways, it's not, I'm laughing because it was funny as it wasn't. I swear, he looked like Popeye. His arms were all swollen up, his face is, but my husband has major sinus issues during the spring and that's what the time of the year it was. He got in the car and his nose was so swollen. He's got this tiny little button though. He, his nose reminds me of yours. It's just this cute little pretty chiseled nose. Well, after he got stung so many times, it was this great big Walter Matthau nose. He's like, honey, I'm like, as we're driving here. And he, I said, what? He goes, I can breathe. He goes, I don't know what those bees did, but I can breathe. And the bee stings made his nose passages and stuff swell up. He could finally breathe for the first time all spring. Although I don't recommend it. Right. Yes. Yeah. Not a recommended treatment. Please do not try this at home. (laughs) But, oh, that's that's our legal disclosure. Yeah. That is fascinating. Going back to kind of the cost, I have a couple of questions. So I'll ask them and then you can answer them in the order you think is best. But one so you get your hive set up, and we've, we've talked about placement, which was fascinating. I didn't even realize about the straight line, so that's really good things to know about. What is your daily or your weekly, like what's the care routine? What's the time investment in the care that they take? And then also actually looking for and purchasing your bees, because y'all, I told you I was a beginner and ignorant when it came to actually raising honeybees, and I'm standing by it here. But there's different types of honeybees and is there anything that would judge your decision on one type or another and then where do you actually purchase the actual bees to go in your hives well those are all good questions i'm going to go ahead and start with far as the different types of bees so there is over 20,000 different bee races which is crazy. I mean, over 20,000 of them and over 70% of those 20,000 actually build or live in the ground. So only 30% live what we would consider traditional bees or beehives or bee homes. And out of those, we have three that are the top 
races here available in the United States. Of course, there's other ones, but the top three are your Carolina bees, your where you live. For instance, the Russian bees, as someone would think, is they do really good in the cold. So you live in a colder environment, those would be the bee that you would want to get. I have a friend that lives in Michigan, and he has Russian bees, and they do really well because it's long, cold winters. I didn't have a choice, believe it or when I went to go order. I was ordering through my Beekeepers Association, and what they got was the Italian bees because everybody loved the Italian bees. So I really didn't have a choice, nor did I know any difference because I was still green. And Italian bees, everyone said, oh, you're going to love them. They don't swarm a bunch. The different bees have, just like pets, they have different characteristics that you may or may not want to look for. So I would suggest looking up, again, with your, hooking up with your local beekeepers association or your local beekeeper and try to see what type of bees do best for your environment. Another thing to consider is getting bees shipped to you versus local bees. Now, our Beekeepers Association ordered bees. They got shipped in from a different state, UPS, believe it or not. <laughs> you, pick them up at, you pick them up at the post office. I know you can get anything through the mail. I'm surprised Amazon don't carry it. But anyway, you pick them up, and then you bring them to your home and your environment. They have new forage. They have new climate to adjust to. And even if you did that with a human, it wears on your immune system a little bit. But when you're adjusting to the different pollens, the different elevation, a local bee is always going to be healthier and stronger than one that you get shipped to you. If you can hook up with a beekeeper that's going to catch a swarm, which is a great way to get bees, that's ideal because they're already used to your area. They're already strong and they will thrive a lot better than ordering one through the mail or through your association that's shipped to you. The next thing, I guess I kind of answered that with buying bees as well. So you have all your different species, the top three here in the United States. When you're doing your research, look for your climate. Like the Carolina bees do really good in heat. So if you're down in Texas and you have a lot of warm days, they might be a better bee for you. They don't do really good in the cold. And then for buying, again, you could talk with your local beekeepers association. You can actually have them shipped to you online. Or you might even hook up with someone that does pest control because they get a lot of calls for swarm removals. But you're going to want somebody who's a little bit more experienced in beekeeping to go that route. I don't recommend someone who's just JOJ going to try to capture a swarm to put it in the hive. I mean, even though it's a viable option, you definitely want to have an experienced beekeeper with you to do that. Okay, awesome. So then when it comes to Kind of like what's your routine maintenance or care of the hive and the bees and everything? Is it weekly? Is it daily? Is it, of course, I'm sure at extraction time, you're going to have more work, obviously, seasonally, that wise when you're coming to harvest. But can you kind of walk us through that a little bit? Absolutely. I've always said that bees were my easiest livestock to care for. I'm lazy in a lot of ways, and they're so easy because they're like your set it and forget it crock pot meal for the day. You get them in, you get them established, and there's really a little bit that you have to do. When you first get them, you know, you're going to be pretty active in their life for about two weeks. That very first setup day, you're going to spend about four hours with them. Then you're going to just kind of check on them daily, make sure they, water's the main thing. They have to have water daily. Now, we were really fortunate where we relocated our hives 
is right next to a year-round spring-fed creek. I'm done. Yeah, I washed my hands. They've really made it easy for me being here because I just go and look at them. I lift up the back of the hive a little bit to see how the honey's doing. And then that's it. Just walk by and take pictures every once in a while. Generally, when you have your hives, you check on them once a month after they're established. You just take a look at them, see if you notice anything off. Might open your hive and take a peek inside, see how the honey stores are doing. During the wintertime, you don't open their hive at all because the cold can kill them and you're going to introduce it to them when you open the hive. So during the winter, nothing. You can take the whole winter off. Springtime gets a little busy. And as you mentioned, harvest time, we call it honey day. So you can have a honey day in the fall and you can have a honey day in the spring. So really kind of two days out of the year, you're going to spend with your bees all day long. Other than that, it's just a monthly pop in, say hi, sit down, take a look at them and that's it. Okay. I like that kind of livestock because I tell you what, the chickens and the pigs and the cows <laughs> require a lot more maintenance than the bees do. So that's pretty awesome. When you are checking on them though, like you said, you know, you're looking at the honeycomb. What are you looking for just to see that it's developing? And if it's not, is there certain things that you want to do? Make sure that they've got access to more flowers and nectar or what does that entail? Yeah, so when you do your hive inspections, the things that you want to look for is you're going to open it up and make sure that, A, that you, you can find the queen. And I go over that in the book, and there's things online where you can look how to identify the queen. A lot of times when you purchase brand new bees, you can ask them to mark the queen, and they'll take a marker, like a paint marker, and put a dot on her back. And because you always want to make sure that you've got a queen. The hive cannot survive without a queen at the helm. After you see her the first couple times, you'll begin to be able to pick her out really easy because she is the biggest hot bee in the entire hive. It'll be easier to identify her. Kind of like you first do when you first get chickens. You can't tell which one's a room, which one's a hen. And then after all their comb comes in and their tail feathers come in, you can kind of tell the difference. Same thing with bees. And then you won't need that paint on her after it wears off because you'll be able to recognize her. So you want to check on the queen, see how she's doing. And by how she's doing is to make sure that she's laying just a single egg in all of the cells, that she's doing her job. And then you want to look to make sure there's no disease. And there's several different diseases that can infect a hive. But you have your wax moth, you have your mites, you have your fowl brood. There's a lot of different diseases that can happen, just like with any type of livestock. So you want to check to make sure that your hive looks clean and healthy. Bees will work themselves to death. That's their job. They all have a job in the colony, and they will work from the moment they're born to the day they die. And if they're not keeping that hive clean, something's wrong. If they're not keeping the bugs out at bay, something's wrong. So you want to make sure that your hive looks in order. The next thing is you want to see how the honey's developing. They will have your typical, let's just go with Langstroth hive because they're the most common, has anywhere from eight to 10 frames in each one of the boxes. If your bees have more than three quarters of those frames pulled out, they got honey, it's cat, that's going to tell you they need more room. They need an extra condo on top. So you're going to want to put another box on top to allow them more room. Now, if they got too much room, that opposite can happen. You can't keep up with a house that's too big. You're going to have to hire somebody else to help you clean it. So if they have too much room in their hive, problems can happen, and you're going to want to reduce their boxes. 
just so they can keep up with the maintenance. So those are the types of things that you look for when you're checking on the hive. Just basically how much honey's in there, the hive development, if they need more room, the health of the queen, and if there's any disease or pest that you can recognize. And then you can decide how you're going to intervene if needed. Okay. That was fascinating and very detailed. I love it. I've always heard you check it on the hive, but I'm like, well, what are they actually checking on? So thank you so much. I can't wait to go through your book. So guys, everything that we have been talking about today, the different types of hives, and of course, Amber's book that is just jam-packed with information. We'll have links to everything in the blog post that accompanies this episode, and you can get that at melissaknorris.com forward slash 179, because this is episode number 179. And I feel like we have really just like barely scratched the surface, and I'm finding it so fascinating. And I'm not saying that I'm getting hives yet, but it's definitely on my homesteading radar to bring in. As far as harvest-wise, now I realize it's how large your hive is and how productive and all of that is, but typically for, say, a two boxes, about how much honey are you going to get at your harvest time? Like how much do you actually get production-wise? There's so many factors, as you know. I mean, did you have a good nectar flow? Did you have too much rain that season? Your bees, are they in good health? Because average hive can have up to 100,000 bees, every single one of them making that honey for you. So if you have a good nectar flow, you have a good season, you're looking at pulling about 70 pounds of honey per hive. So you could theoretically have about 140 pounds for two hives. Now, some of those things that will take an effect or take an effect to how much honey you pull is how long your winters are. For instance, I've never pulled honey in the fall because I wanted my bees to have that honey throughout the winter. So if you live in a place with horrible winters, the more honey you're going to want to leave them. But if you live in a place that has short winters, then you can take more honey from them to enjoy, sell, give away, or what have you. Now, if you're thinking about, okay, I got 140 pounds of honey, people are selling that joker at $10 for a pound. Now, I'm, I'm talking money now. And yes, you can make really good money from it because a lot of people are seeking that raw, natural, unfiltered honey. You just can't find that at the grocery stores, no matter what the labeling says. I mean, you'll find out if you just get into it for a hobby with two hives, you'll have a waiting list every season after you pull honey. Look, thankfully, we have a local beekeeper and he is really great and sells it and it truly is raw, unfiltered. And so I feel really blessed that we actually have access to that. We have a couple different beekeepers in the surrounding areas from us so that we can get it. I get my beeswax from them whenever possible too, instead of ordering it because I'm not a beekeeper, but I do have some local sources. And the other thing that I find fascinating is the different flavors based upon where the bees have been drawing their nectar from, like the different colors of the honey and just the different nuances that that honey will have. I had no idea prior to finding him and seeing all this honey and, and getting to taste test it, there could be that much of a variance. I mean, I just thought honey was honey. Yeah, that's one of the things that I think is wonderful about, depending on where you are, even beekeepers exchanging their honey. Because if you can get honey from someone that has an orange grove or a lot of fruit trees in the springtime and get that honey, oh, it is so good. And I mentioned my friend having the blueberry farm and her honey tasting that hint of blueberries. 
which is also good for people that have allergies. Like both of my daughters are highly allergic to blueberries, but they can both eat that honey. I think that's great. Like right now, we've had a ton of honeysuckle all over our land. I can't wait to taste that honey because this is our first year here on this property. And then come fall time, I hated, oh my gosh, our hives back in South Carolina at fall smelt like rotten dead corpse. Oh. <laughs> and it was disgusting. And that's because they foraged on ragweed. And now people up north swear by the taste of ragweed honey. No, thank you. I smelt my hives. And I, at first I thought they had foul brew disease and I was terrified. And nope, it was them foraging on ragweed. It was a horrible smell. <laughs> well, that's good to know. Now, I do have one last question because I feel like I've just been picking your brain here, which I'm so excited about. But what is basically, provided they don't come down with disease and have fairly ideal conditions, what's the, kind of the lifespan of a hive? Your hive will continue to rotate. Your average lifespan of your worker female bee is 30 days. Now, she can live up to three, four months. But that's it. She's 30 days. Your drones, pretty much the same thing, although they have been known to live up to four months. But your queen bee will last anywhere from two to four years. They got a pretty strong rotation. They got a pretty strong turnover rate. When you're thinking about how long your hive will last, that's why it's so important to to create a strong hive. Because if you have a weak hive, they're going to rotate over and those genes are going to be broken down and they're going to rotate over. You just keep on generating weaker bees. And before you know it, you have an entire colony that's just volatile. Anything, the wind blows funny and they can all die. So if you have a strong colony to begin with, and every 30 days or three to four months, they're rotating out, you're going to continue to grow good genes. Okay. So if you have that initial investment, because like we said, that can be depending on where and how you get everything could be possibly about $900 to get you established. That's going to last you provided all those outside circumstances. But generally speaking, it's going to last you at least a few years. Oh yeah. Because they'll make a new queen bee once the queen bee starts to deteriorate in health. So if you have your initial investment of your $900 for two hives or what have you, it could be give or take a little bit more, a little bit less. They'll last you for years and years and years. You'll definitely earn your money back. The only thing that you will have to reinvest in, provided, you know, they're healthy and everything else, is A, additional hives, because you'll be addicted and you'll want to capture the swarm when that happens in the spring. <laughs> or B, the wood does deteriorate after a period of time, just like your house, you know. So you'll have to replace a box here or there, a frame here or there. But the reinvestment is very minimal. It's not like having to go and get more chicken feed or goat feed or anything else. It's that initial investment and then pretty much just jars to put your honey. Oh, I love it. And we always got lots of mason jars here on the homestead. So <laughs> thank you so much, Amber. I've really learned a ton from this interview and probably from y'all listening. If there was any beekeepers in here, you're like, boy, that girl didn't know anything. And you are absolutely right. <laughs> so thank you so much for walking me through all of that and answering those questions. And like I said, guys, we'll have a link to her book that goes into a lot more information and walks you through a lot more than she even was able to do with us here today. So you're definitely going to want to check that out. And Amber, we want to share with everybody the name of the book too? Oh, yes. It's called Beekeeping for Beginners. 
pretty easy visit. How to raise your first bee colony. Awesome. I'm so excited. And where can people find out more about you? What's your website? My website is myhomesteadlife.com. And I also have the Facebook page, same thing, My Homestead Life. And I would love for anybody to come by, say hello. Make sure that you mention Melissa's podcast here. Awesome. Thank you so much, Amber. And I will think of you now every time I go and get my honey. So thank you. Wasn't that a great amount of information? I hope you've learned as much as I did. And if you are not subscribed to the podcast, so whatever app you're listening to this on, if you're not listening to it straight from my website, because there's always a player on the blog post that accompanies every podcast episode. So if you're on Stitcher or iTunes or Podbean or gosh, there's so many of them these days, make sure that you're actually subscribed so that as soon as the new episodes come out, boom, they just hit your app. And whenever you log in to listen to a podcast episode, it is there and waiting for you so that you don't miss out on any of the awesome information that I have planned and it coming your way. One of our favorite sections and we how we sign off from every episode is our verse of the week. Now, I'm sure you're not going to be very surprised by this verse at all, but we are going to be traveling on back to Exodus, so Old Testament, chapter 3, verses 6 through 8. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. There was a lot of ites in there. But what I love about this verse is, one, it is saying when God was giving his people a promise, one of those promises was a land flowing with honey. Honey is mentioned a lot in the Bible. It was valued as something that was very valuable, and the Lord liked to give it to his people. Now, if you're like me and you believe the Bible, and you believe that the Lord created the world and nature and everything in it, then you know that he made wonderful honeybees to work with nature, to work with the seeds, to pollinate so that we have all of this wonderful fruit and food. And then we also have wonderful honey as well. But the other part that I liked about this verse and I wanted to share with you is a lot of times we are in that crying out place. Now, we might not be a literal slave if you're living in the United States. I hope that's not the case, though slavery actually, I know we like to think about it as something in the past, but slavery is very much alive and in the world and even within the United States. But I'm talking about a lot of times we are slaves to situations in our lives. Sometimes we're slaves to feelings. But no matter where you're at, if you are in misery, God is concerned about you. He's concerned about your suffering. And though it doesn't happen instantly in most cases, hold on to the promise that he is going to bring you out of that spot. And I have been in that spot many times and I will enter that spot again. But hold on to that promise 
that he is going to bring you into a good and spacious land and a spot flowing with milk and honey. You just have to hold on and trust in him until you get there. Thank you so much for joining me and Amber on this week's edition of the Pioneering Today podcast. I cannot wait to be back with you here next week. And if you're like me, I like to hang out with like-minded people and people I like more than just once a week, right? Can I get an amen? So I would love it if you would find me on Instagram. Just pop open your Instagram app, type in Melissa K. Norris. I'm going to pop right up. I would love to hang out with you there. Okay, guys, either I'll see you daily, hopefully on Instagram, or I will be here with you next week on the podcast.